hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You who are uh, watching from home, welcome. We're glad that you are here also. Will you pray with me as we get into God's word uh, today? Father in heaven, Lord, it is true that we are no longer slaves to fear because we are your children. But Lord, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives when uncertainty seems to creep in and we're not sure. And we're not certain about tomorrow. And Lord, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we get a little anxious and we get a little fearful. But I pray that this evening as we get into your word and see what you have to say to us today, that that fear, that anxiety, that trepidation will fade away in light, Lord, of your glorious grace. And so, Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we are living in interesting times, and if you were to turn on your television and watch the news, you would agree with me that the world is kind of crazy. Matter of fact, it is chaotic, and there is so much for us to worry about. We've got to worry about our jobs. We've got to worry about COVID-19. We've got to worry about our children. We've got to worry about our 401k. And so much more that it seems to cloud and drown out the voice of God. So much so that we, we, we lose a sense of security. We lose a, a, a sense of safety. We even often forget that God is our refuge. Elizabeth Cheney wrote a poem entitled, I Should Really Like to Know. And her poem goes like this. It said, it goes, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Well, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. And I think when we look at our lives today, we often forget that God loves us and that he cares for us and that he has a plan for each and every one of our lives. But at times it seems as though God is not there. It seems as though we're living this life and we are, we are walking this Christian life all by ourselves. And I'm sure you've even wondered, where, where is God when life happens, when, when, when the car breaks down, when the AC breaks down, when there's turmoil on the job, you wonder, Lord, why and where are you in all of this? Well, I want you to know that God is where he has always been. He is right there. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ruth, where we have seen both God's sovereignty and God's providence interact in the lives of a man named Elimelech 
and his wife Naomi and their two sons. And we've watched God providentially move them out of Bethlehem in, in, in Judea and take them to a land that is foreign to them, a land where there are foreign gods being worshipped and there are pagan rituals taking place. And he moved them to the land of Moab. And he used a, a famine, a severe famine, the text tells us, to move them to Moab. And over the course of time, we see that Elimelech dies and uh, in, in the midst of his death, his boys take two wives from Moab, and they, they, they reside in the land for some ten years. And after that decade, both of the boys die. And Naomi is simply left with her two daughters-in-law, whom she tells, go back to your mothers. I can do nothing else for you. I don't have any children in my womb, and you won't wait for them to grow up if I did, and it's easier for you to get husbands, so go back to your mother's house, if you remember the account. And Orpah decided, I'm going home. But Ruth decided she was going to stay with Naomi. And she told Naomi that your people will be my people and that your God will be my God. And it seems as though there was no changing her mind and so Naomi and Ruth head back home, and when they made it back to, to Bethlehem, folks were kind of, is that, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? It's Naomi. She's back. And if you remember the account, she said, don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She says that I, I left here full, but I'm coming back empty. However, upon her return, and she returned because God had visited his people and brought food back to Israel. And so there is now food in, in Bethlehem. And as time would have it, God begins to bless Naomi through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth finds favor and she finds grace through one of Naomi's relatives, whose name is Boaz. And as Pastor Ron explained last week, Boaz was very gracious to Ruth. Last week we saw in chapter 2, verse 8, that Boaz told Ruth to only glean from my field. And gleaning is, is where the, the harvesters would leave the corners of the fields for the poor to go and and, and collect the wheat or the barley. And Boaz said, only glean in my field. And if you're thirsty, he said, you can, you can drink the water that my servants have drawn. And he also told her, I want you to stay with my handmaidens. And he was very gracious to her. But I think he was kind of sweet on her, too, because in verse 14, he's... he's He's, he's feeding her bread dipped in vinegar, and he's feeding her roasted grain, and he told his servants to let her glean from the sheaves, which, are, which have already been harvested, and don't you insult her. He told his servants to pull some barley from the bundles that had been prepared, and don't you dare rebuke her. 
And the text says in verse 17 of chapter 2 that she went home with an ephah of, of grain. This is, as Pastor Ron told us, four to five gallons of grain. You don't get that from just gleaning the corners. And she also took home a little doggy bag for, for Naomi, Pastor Ron told us last week. And so she has been blessed because she found favor and grace in the eyes of Boaz. And in the same way, Naomi was blessed through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And it's interesting because in, in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz blesses Ruth. And in, in, chapter two, in verse 20 of chapter 2, Naomi blesses Boaz. And when you think about it, Ruth's story is very much like our own. There was a point in time in each of our lives when we didn't know God. When we were strangers to his word. Matter of fact, we were enemies of God. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were excluded from the blessings that Israel got to experience. We were really living a life that was on our way to hell. But we found favor and grace through Jesus Christ. And our lives have never been the same. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he has a plan of redemption. A plan to give us security and safety and rest. And in our text today, there is another plan that is hatching. So if you have a Bible with me, turn to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3, it's in the Old Testament, where we're going to see another plan that is coming to fruition. Ruth chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1, where the text says this, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now, at first glance, please don't miss this, that there has been a change. There's been a change in Naomi, who in chapter 1, as she's coming home, she was bitter and angry with God and empty. But since God has been blessing and being gracious to her, that anger has seemed to fade away and she is no longer bitter because God has provided for her. But also her, her attitude and her love towards, Naomi, towards Ruth excuse me, has seemed to have grown. Look at what she says to Ruth. She says, my daughter, not my daughter-in-law. She says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? In Hebrew culture, to seek security for someone doesn't mean you go out and you buy a simply safe alarm system, or you go out and buy one of the, what's the thing, the, 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 the ring, the bell, what's, what's the doorbell? Ring. Ring, yeah, it's not one of those, or you don't go out and you buy 10 chihuahuas, although that would be formidable. But, but in Hebrew culture, to seek security is the idea of to seek a permanent resting place, to seek a permanent place of of rest. The Hebrew word is Manoah, 
and it's translated security or rest. And it means literally a resting place. And it's derived from the, the, another Hebrew word, nuwa, which means to settle down. And the idea is, is that Naomi is seeking for a more permanent resting place, a more permanent place of security for Ruth. The idea here is marriage. Naomi is seeking a husband for her daughter-in-law. She has taken on the role of a mother in the life of Ruth to find a husband, someone who, be, who would be gracious to her, someone who will, la- who will love her and lavish favor upon her as any mother would do. But the question is, who and how to go about it? And so that's the plan, to find a husband for Ruth. And in verse 2, we see the preparation. Look at the text with me. Naomi says to Ruth, Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Weren't you with Boaz's uh, maids? He is our kinsman. And we learned in chapter 2, verse 20, that the idea of kinsman, it, it, it means redeemer or, or, or close relative. And Naomi reminds Ruth that Boaz is our kinsman. The Hebrew word is goel. And it was a term from the realm of Israelite family law. And it describes the near relative to whom both the law and custom gave certain duties towards the clan or family, including the right to redeem. Robert Hubbard and in his commentary on the book of Ruth, lists five responsibilities of the goel. And the first one is this, to re, the repurchase, rather, of property. If a, a family member sold some property because they needed the money, then the, the goel, the kinsman, had the responsibility of going and purchasing the property back in order to keep it within the commonwealth of Israel, to keep it within the family. Secondly, he had the responsibility to redeem relatives. See, unlike today, debt was a big issue uh, during this time in in, in Hebrew culture. And if you were in debt, you would oftentimes sell yourself into indentured servitude to pay off your debt. And if there was a relative who had sold themselves into slavery, if he could afford it, the the kinsman, the, the goel, would would go and purchase and redeem the family member back. Thirdly, the Goel Hadam, the kinsman of blood, would avenge the killing of a relative. So if someone killed a relative and ran away, it was the the kinsman's responsibility to go and track that person down and execute them. And this this is all in the scripture, just so you know. Fourthly, they had the responsibility to be the recipient of money. And so if you had a relative that was murdered and the murderer needed to pay restitution, they would pay that to the kinsman, to the goel. And fifthly, they had the responsibility 
to assist the Klan member in a lawsuit in order to see that justice was done. And so if there was a lawsuit brought against a family member or a Klan member, they had the responsibility to make sure that the, the courts were just. It seems that the Goel, the kinsmen, also had the responsibility of keeping the unity within the clan, keeping unity within the family. But it seems that Naomi has something else in mind. It seems she has what's, what's, what's in mind, a, what's called a Leverite marriage. It's got nothing to do with Levites, but has everything to do with marriage. Will you go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25? It's to the left in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'm going to begin in verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'm going to start in verse 5. Well, the text says this. This is the law of Moses. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Verse 6, it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. But if the man does not desire to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to establish a name for his brothers in Israel. He is not willing to perform the duty of a husband, of a husband's brother, excuse me, to me. Verse 8, then the elders of, the, of his city shall summon him and speak to him. And if he persists and says, I do not desire to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the sight of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face and she shall declare, thus it is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. In Israel, his name shall be called the house of him whose sandal is removed. And so it was important for a brother to take a dead brother's wife so that that brother's name might continue. And this is God's law. God was serious about this. But what do you do when both brothers are dead? you bring in the kinsman redeemer. And so we continue with the preparation for this plan in, in verse 2 where Naomi says to Ruth, again now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. And so she seems to know that Boaz is going to be winnowing. Well, what in the world is winnowing? Well, when you harvested wheat or barley, go to the next slide, please, and you cut it down, you would beat the sheaves of the, the wheat or barley on a rock or on a log, and you would beat it in order to separate the wheat from the stalk. And like you see this guy here doing, and that's a, that's a, long, that's a long day's work in the hot sun. Go to the next slide. Once you finish beating the wheat or barley, you would then winnow it. You'd take a fork, kind of like a pitchfork, and you would toss it into the air in the evening. And the breeze from the evening would blow away the chaff and the hull, but the seat, because it's heavier, would fall to the ground. 
and you throw it up and it blow away and the seeds would fall and you do this to separate and better refine the seeds. And then you would then take the seed that's on the ground and you would put it through a sifter to sift the finer parts so that eventually all you had left was the wheat or the barley. And they would gather the chaff up for the animals or they would gather it up for, for kindling. Either way, it was used and nothing was wasted. And Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be out in the fields winnowing. You know, Jesus is going to do the same thing uh, to his people when he returns. He's going to give his angels charge. Matter of fact, this isn't on the screen, but in Matthew chapter 13, verse 30, Jesus is going to tell the angels this, to allow both to grow up together, the wheat and the tares, into a harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I shall say to the reapers, first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles, then burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barns. And this is a picture of what is going to happen when Jesus returns. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. But the, the preparation continues. Look at verse 3 with me. Naomi says this to Ruth, wash yourself therefore and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you should do. That's the plan. That's the preparation for the plan. Naomi tells Ruth, hey, number one, go bathe. Go wash. Wash off the dirt. Wash the hair. Wash out. Just wash every part of you. Then she says, anoint yourself. Let's put on oil, scented oil, or put on perfume. And I got to tell you, there's something about having perfume on in the evening when, the, when there's a breeze blowing, everybody's going to smell it. I never forget when I was living in Dallas the second time and was working part-time um, at a high-end dog store. Uh, a lady walked in, a customer, and when she got ready to check out, I was checking her out. And I'm sitting here at the register, and I went, and I looked at her as she's standing in front of me because she had on perfume. And it was one of those, oh, my gosh, that smells so good. And I gave her one of these looks. You know, guys, you know how we look at women when they're smelling kind of those? What are you wearing? And I kind of, oh, my gosh, you smell really. And she might have taken a step back, you know, just being a little uncomfortable. But I was serious. What are you wearing? That smells so good. And she told me, and I was like, that smells, you smell really, and I think she was getting a little nervous at this point, you smell really good. And I'm watching her walk out going, and it, it had this effect on me. You remember that story I told you? Yeah, it just, it was kind of like, wow. That's the idea, to put on that perfume. So that when you get to the fields and the breeze is blowing, that fragrance is going to travel. Also, she says, put on your best clothes, not your jeans, not your t-shirt. Put on your best clothes. Then she says this, stay hidden. Don't make yourself known 
until he has finished eating and drinking. Go in like SEAL Team 6, quietly, stealthily. Creep in after he's finished eating and drinking. And, and here's the important part, she says. It shall be that when he lies down, pay attention to where he lies down. Why? Because there are other guys in the fields who have eaten and have drunk and have, li have laid down to protect their fields at night. So make sure you, 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 you watch where he goes to lie down. Then you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he'll tell you what to do. Well, that's, that's the preparation. Look at what happens in the proposal. Look at verses 7 through 11 with me. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, now let me stop here, he's not drunk, okay, let's understand that. But guys, you've, you've worked hard all day and you go home and you have a nice meal and you may have a glass of wine or a beer or if you're like me, some sweet tea and you sit in your favorite chair and it's just like, <sighs> then what do we do? <sighs> right? We nod, right? No? Yes? And so when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, everything was right with him. Everything was right with the world. He's just mellow. Look at the text. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and she came secretly. She came stealthily, quietly, and uncovered his feet and she laid down. Now, what's the deal with uncovering his feet? Well, in ancient Near Eastern cult cultures, this was the same thing as a proposal. And implicit in this idea or this act of uncovering the feet was the idea of marriage. And when a younger woman wanted to propose to an older man, because an older man would never propose to a younger woman in this culture, she would uncover his feet. And so Ruth un uncovers Boaz's feet, and she lays down at him. Look at verse 8. It happens. like a great novel, isn't it? It happened. In the middle of the night that the man was startled because there was somebody at his feet, and he bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. Now, Naomi told her, lay at his feet, and he'll tell you what to do. But look at what she does. She said, hey, it's me, Naomi. I'm sorry, and I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. She takes the initiative here. She asks him to spread your covering over your maid. One commentator adds this. The Hebrew idiom, paras kanap al, spread your covering over it, means to marry. She's asking Boaz, marry me. Dude, I'm available in 21st century. Ain't no rapey, put a ring on it, right? <laughs> and just as Boaz understood in chapter 2 that that Ruth had sought refuge under the wing of God where she would find security and safety and rest. In the same way, Ruth is asking Boaz 
to cover her for security and safety and rest. Boaz is the answer to his prayer in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 12, look at, look at it with me. Boaz says this. He says, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to seek refuge. And Ruth would find her refuge and her protection and her security through Boaz. Look at Boaz's response in chapter 10. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men or the poor or rich. You chose me. And you have blessed me by choosing me rather than the young lions and stallions who, 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 who are in the community. But you've chosen me. Now, my daughter, verse 11, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all of my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. The community knows that you're a woman of strength is what the word means. You're a woman who is capable. You're a woman of power. And everybody knows, so I will do what you ask, but there's one problem. And we see that problem in verse 12. He says, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there was a relative closer than I. There's somebody else in the family who was closer to Naomi than Boaz. And we don't know if it was a second cousin, twice removed, whatever that means. Does anybody know what twice removed? No? Okay. Or whoever it is, we don't know. But Boaz realizes that there's somebody who was closer who should have the opportunity to decide whether he wants to, to marry you first. And in order to keep the friction at a minimum, he concedes to this other relative. And look at what he says with the promise in verse 13. Boaz says, remain this night. And when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lay down until morning. And so Boaz makes a vow. He makes a promise to Ruth. If the other relative will redeem you, fine, let him do that. But if he doesn't, I will. And his, his vow was this, as the Lord lives, I promise to redeem you. That's the idea. Now, we know that Yahweh has always existed and will always exist. He won't ever not exist, so Boaz has to keep this promise. And he tells her, lie down until morning. And then tune in next week for the continuation of this text. No. Yeah, there's more, but you've got to come back for it. A couple of observations, and then we'll close. Ruth needed security, and she needed safety and a place of refuge from, from danger and from uncertainty. And she found that in Boaz. But there is another redeemer 
y'all. His name is Jesus. And just like Boaz, we can find rest through Jesus. We can find safety and security through Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus, after condemning the cities for rejecting him, he says this. He says, come to me, all who are weary. You know what that means? That means you're just, you're run down and you're tired. And heavy laden, you've got all these problems that you're carrying on your shoulder, these concerns and worries and anxieties, and they're just they're beating you down. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Here's the promise. And I will give you rest. The idea is, is that I will refresh you. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and, and, and learn from me, for, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so Jesus promises a, a physical rest, but also a, a spiritual rest. If you come to him, and last time I checked, he has never broken a promise, and he never will. Jesus says, come to him. Everybody who is exhausted and burdened down, and you're tired of what's happening on the news and in the nation and at home, he says, come to him. He's available to take the burden from you. and to give you rest. Some of us are worried about COVID-19. Am I going to get it? Will I get it? I've already had it. Will I get it again? You're worried about the culture. Inflation's going up. Jobs are becoming few. I might get fired. I might get laid off. My 401k is dwindling. Jesus has come to him. And you'll find safety and security under his wings. Proverbs 18, verse 4, reminds us. Uh, the writer says this, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who do you think he's talking about? Jesus. You know, sometimes families disagree. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye. Even sometimes I've heard we don't even talk to each other for months or years. But the scripture says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 13.5. talking about the character of God. He says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. Remember this. When you're watching the news, or you're talking to your neighbor, or you're talking to your coworker, and you get in a tizzy, What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this situation? 
What's next? God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Where is God? Where he's always been. He's right here. If we take the time to step back and realize it. God says he won't ever leave you. And what did Jesus tell his disciples as he was about to send into heaven? He says, lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. His promise is sure. So if you find yourself struggling, looking for safety and security, trying to figure out how am I going to make it and deal with this maze called life, let me leave you with this. Matthew, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Well, the writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Here's why, here's the purpose clause, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews says to keep your eyes on Jesus so that you, you won't grow tired and you won't lose heart. You won't give up. Jesus is still on the throne. And he is still for you even when it feels like he's not there. He is there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that we're able to see, Lord, in Ruth, how you providentially are working out your will and your plan for all of humanity. And Lord, oftentimes we find ourselves feeling like Ruth, we needing security, needing safety, needing a place of refuge. Father, remind us that you have given us your son who has promised to give us rest to take away the weariness to take away the anxiety to take away the uncertainty Lord may we look to you today when we find ourselves drifting and unsure and uncertain May you be our anchor. And Lord, help us to call on your Holy Spirit who indwells us and lives within us, who is ready to empower us and to lead and to guide us and to remind us that you are God and you have overcome the world. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you are going to do in our lives today. May we honor you with our very lives. And we ask these things, Lord Jesus.
Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.